yes, you are listening to Law and Gospel on this July the 5th in the year of our Lord 2017. And now I understand why I wasn't able to get into the studio yesterday. For some reason, nobody was here. July 4th. Must have been some kind of holiday. Well, at any rate, we're back. And we're back on schedule because we were also unable to get in on Monday. Wednesday... We're going to be doing what we normally do on Monday, and that's take a look at the lessons for this fifth Sunday after Pentecost that is coming up. Tomorrow, we're back on schedule with Wes Reimnitz. Rumination Thursday, although we have as yet not figured out what we're going to be talking about. So you can email me if you've got a decision, lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And on Friday is Open Mic Friday, where you can call in with any question on your mind. Let's take a look at the gospel for this coming fifth Sunday after Pentecost, uh, the Holy Gospel from Matthew chapter 11. If I told you that the hidden things of God were kept from the wise and understanding, would you agree with me? Well, Once more, we find a Bible passage that seems to contradict common sense. Jesus himself is talking, chapter 11, verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden, that's right, that's the word, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Well, we talked about this in the sermon on Sunday at Trinity Lutheran Orchard Farm. A lot of times there appear to be contradictions in the Bible. In fact, I believe that particularly Lutheran theology is quite paradoxical. That means at first reading, it doesn't seem to make any sense. We're studying the Heidelberg Disputation by Martin Luther from 1518 on Thursday nights, and every statement he makes is paradoxical. Uh, the, the first one, remember, was, oh, the law of God is salutary. It's good. It's wonderful. But it can lead you to hell. And, and so you wonder, what's he talking about? Well, we've explained that a number of times, but I'm just giving you an example of paradoxy that's found throughout the scripture. What we have here, therefore, is Jesus saying that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Well, then how are they wise and understanding? There's a number of ways to overcome apparent contradictions in the Bible. The first one is to look at the original languages. The same English word may have three or four different Greek words behind it. And that will help us solve it. For example, the English word love, it either can be agape in the Bible or it can be phileo from Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That, that helps solve some problems. Or maybe the culture. Uh, for example, even though... In Jerusalem, women did not have to wear head coverings. In Corinth, they did. Why? Well, that was a cultural reason. Because in Corinth, the lack of a head covering showed that you were a woman of the night, if you get my meaning. 
So sometimes culture helps out. But a lot of times the context helps out. In this particular case, a similar word in the Hebrew or Greek can have a number of different meanings. The, the same word, I've often used, you know, law and gospel. Well, law and gospel both have a number of different re- meanings. The law can, you know, mean the commandments, moral law, civil law, ceremonial law, first use of the law, second use of the law, third use of the law. Uh, law is about nature. And you have to look at the context. So what is Jesus talking about? That these things were hid from the wise and understanding. Because when you look in some passages, the wise are those who are believers. The understanding are those who understand God. But see, there's another meaning for wise and understanding. And that's in those passages where the wisdom of the world falls far short of the wisdom of God. What Jesus is talking about here, therefore, that there are people who think they're really wise and they understand. They might, have, they might even have high IQs. Well, guess what? The revelation of God have, has been hidden from them. How was that possible? Well, I already gave you the answer. Because Christianity is the only religion in the world that is revealed by God himself. Every other religion is man-made, comes from the imagination of men. That's why the gods of every other religion are very close to the attitude and the attributes of the human beings that invented them. But the true God of the Scripture, the Holy Trinity, he reveals things that don't make any sense at all. They're very paradoxical. We can talk about doctrine like the Trinity, three persons in one. Or we can talk about salvation, that after you spit in the face of God, God forgives you. There is so much in Christianity that doesn't make any sense. And that's what Jesus is talking about, that these things are hidden from the wise and understanding. In fact, there are passages in the Bible very clearly that teach that until you have the Holy Spirit, you know nothing about the true God. Now, some people will say, well, I know that he's the creator of the world. Well, that's really knowing nothing, because that's true about almost any God that's invented when I say knowing something, I mean something unique about God. The idea that he's merciful and gracious. You cannot figure that out from nature. Tell me one religion in the world outside of Christianity where God becomes a human being in order to die for your sins. Never happens. Who then is in contrast to the wise and understanding. Jesus says, you know, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Little children. What does that mean? It's not just referring to infants. All those who come to faith can be considered as little children. And there's a number of passages 
using the analogy of the world to help us understand. Remember, we are to desire the word like we desire the sincere milk of the word. For example, when you go to a two-month-old and you have a bottle of milk, you don't say, do you want pasteurized? Do you want homogenized? Do you want chocolate? Do you want buttermilk? What temperature do you want it? You don't ask any of those questions. You just give them the bottle and they go glug, 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 drink it because they're very happy to receiving it. That's how we are to look to the Word of God. As little children desire the sincere milk, so also we desire the milk of the Word. Now, one of the things that Jesus is going to be talking about, to back up what I just said, that it is impossible for a natural religion to ever come up with the true God, is really verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. See, we often put the Holy Spirit in the life of sanctification and justification. That is bringing you to faith and then having you respond to the word of God. But no, the Holy, Sp uh, the Holy Spirit cooperates with the Son because the Son chooses to reveal the true identity of God through the Holy Spirit and there's a Bible verse to back that up. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you. But the point I'm trying to make here that's really critical is you don't know the Father except by knowing the Son. What does that mean? There's really not that much we know about God the Father. He appears a number of times in the scripture. He says some things at Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration and other portions. But a lot of times in the Old Testament, when it refers to God, it's really referring to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who comes oftentimes as the angel of the Lord. Now, my former co-pastor, Peter Krausky, has written a wonderful book on that the angel of the Lord, where Jesus appears about 70 times in his pre-incarnate state. That is before he became a human being. And a lot of times we don't recognize that because it says Yahweh, which is the name of God, and we just think, well, that's referring to God the Father. No. A number of times, and the context helps you understand that, it's referring to God the Son. In fact, how many times in the Old Testament, and I talked about this some weeks ago, that the doctrine of the Trinity is not just found in the New Testament, although it is found there, but the apostles, they wrote about the doctrine of the Trinity from their understanding of the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Well, for example, in Isaiah, it talks about the servant of God. Uh, who's that? Who has all the attributes of God. It's none other than Jesus Christ. In, in Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, sends the Son of Man to earth to redeem it. Jesus refers to himself a lot of times as the Son of Man. 
That's the doctrine of the Trinity. It's found throughout the Old Testament. Every time you run into a second individual, and even in the Old Testament, all three are mentioned, including the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's in the second verse of the Bible, and the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. So what we have here is something very important to understand. Until you become a Christian, until you receive faith, you really don't have an understanding of the Father, and the way you get an understanding of the Father is to know the Son. How many times have people said, you know, to you or maybe to a pastor, boy, I don't think God likes me anymore because look at all the bad things happening in my life. See, this is the devil in you trying to persuade you that you will have a good life if you're obedient and you won't have a good life if you're disobedient. That, that's how he tempts you. But when you take a look at Jesus, you see in Jesus the Father. Even Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Another passage, he says, when you see me, you see the Father. So this verse also gives us the question that I believe is at the foundation of all questions. Because it says that Jesus chooses to reveal the Father. And so the question is, why are some saved and others are not? Now, there is an answer. It's just that God hasn't put that answer into the Bible. And remember, I've said this many a time, if I ever say something you disagree with, get a hold of me, email me, phone me on Friday, ask me about it, and if I can't back it up with a Bible passage, turn the station, I am a false teacher. Everything the pastor says of a theological nature has to be backed up by a scriptural verse. Now, we started another confirmation class recently, and what was interesting about it is that we were uh, talking to them uh, about how biblical Lutheranism is, that everything has to be backed up by scripture. And so, therefore, I am not saying anything in an adult confirmation class that God hasn't said in his holy word. In fact, that's the main task of the pastor, to simply repeat what God reveals in his holy word, because you will never figure it out on your own. It only comes through the word. Now, in light of the fact that if you want to know the Father, you look to Jesus, you end up with an attitude on the part of the Father. Number one, he loves you, for God so loved the world. Number two, he desires your salvation. That's what the Bible says. He desires all men to be saved. And number three, he offers you the gift of the forgiveness of sins. How do we know that? Because that's what the Son does. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. Which leads to verse 28. Because much of the Bible is law and gospel. Even when it teaches a doctrine, it doesn't let it sit there. It applies it to you. So what is so important about knowing the Father through Jesus 
Well, verse 28 tells us what is important. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What does that mean? It's not that the weight is going to be lifted off of you, but it's going to be manageable. And how do we know it's manageable? We don't know it by our experience. We know it instead, and boy, have I been really pushing this at Trinity Orchard Farm, and people are starting to answer right away. The reason we know things are manageable is not because of our experience, but because through faith we believe promises. Boy, that's the most important word in Christianity, the promises of God. The promise is that I will give you rest. Well, what does rest mean? That I'm going to be able to get rid of these problems? No, not at all. I use the example of a farmer because Trinity Orchard Farm has so many farms around it. And I was saying a farmer sows the seed and then it's not raining. Drought is coming. Where does he get rest from that? You can't say he's getting rest because he doesn't have to work the farm because it's not necessary. No, that's not the kind of rest. We got to remember, what was the original rest home? Rest home? What are you talking about? We're talking about the Garden of Eden. That was a rest home. They could go to one side of the garden and eat fruit. They could ride a lion. They could stroke a cobra. Oh, it was just a wonderful place. What was the curse that came when they sinned? It's called work. So how does God give us rest? Well, it's found in a Hebrew word. And it's a part of a commandment, the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word Sabbath does not mean Saturday. And it does not mean seventh day. No, the word Sabbath means rest. How did Adam and Eve rest? They rested in worship. Because in worship, not only were they able again to talk to God, but God was talking to them. Uh, for instance, you take your son to the doctor, he has to get some kind of a booster shot. And he's really worried about it. He doesn't like pain. And you say, I'm going to be there with you. And this is a good doctor. He puts a little thing on your arm to help make it less painful. And it's only going to last a few seconds. The, the son begins to have uh, a rest period so that he's more prepared for what is happening because he believes the promises of his father. So a farmer who knows the drought is here, he can still be in rest in worship because God says all things are going to work together to your good. I heard of a farmer recently due to the rain and the non-rain in our area that ended up seeding some areas of the ground five times. I, I never knew they did that. But obviously, if they seed and then 
the seed is drowned in a lot of water. They got to reseed it. So it's kind of interesting when you drive around Orchard Farm. Some fields, the corn is seven feet high, and in other places, it's two feet high. And it's primarily due that the seven foot high, the ground is such that it's really good for growing corn and it's really hard to flood it. Other parts, well, because of the floods that came from the rivers, there's a lot of sand in that dirt that's not in the other dirt. And so that's something else I'm learning. All the different ways in which God prepares the ground to really good, give good crops, no matter what the circumstances, and in other occasions, other places, well, it all depends on the rain. I, I just didn't realize how important the weather is to farmers. I often have heard there's no atheist in a foxhole, talking about somebody in the army. Well, I don't think there's very many farmers who are atheists. <laughs> Because who are they going to thank when they get these bountiful crops? And where are they going to get rest when the crops aren't growing so well? So Jesus says, come to me all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a promise from Jesus. And that rest occurs every time there's a worship service. That's the meaning of a worship service. We are now resting in God. We are hearing his word, which is what? Not the law, but the promises. The promises that come when we don't deserve them. Those are called gospel promises, and they're all based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this is really important that we make a distinction between the two kingdoms. The one kingdom, of course, is the temporal kingdom where we grow crops and do a lot of work. The other kingdom is the spiritual kingdom. In the temporal kingdom, we get rest for our bodies. In the spiritual kingdom, we get rest for our souls. And the fact of the matter is, your perception on what is happening to you makes all the difference as to whether or not you're really at rest. Who of us have not faced a future with a lot of questions in front of it? And yet, how many times have we said, oh, boy, I don't know if I'm going to get through this next day. And here we are. <laughs> we are through it. Because God also gives rewards to the unbelievers. Yeah, in the temporal realm, if you obey the law outwardly, you're not going to be arrested for doing something wrong. But in the spiritual realm, you also get rest for your souls, which is not available to those who only live in the temporal realm. Because that rest is based on promises that appear to go against the evidence of your life. That, that's the key thing about the Christian faith. That's why it's paradoxical. You can be experiencing one thing, like the death of a loved one. And there really is 
no way in which you can be at peace with that until you become spiritual and recognize that as that loved one has believed in Jesus Christ, you're going to see that person again. This is how rest comes to us. By God giving us promises. And in those promises, we find what we need to hear. Parents do this with children all the time. How come we can't realize that that's what God does with us? The voice of the parent calms the fears of a child. Now, last night, there was all kinds of fireworks going off. Some small children are afraid. But then they're more at peace when the parents take them in their arms and say, don't worry, maybe even show them what a firework is. The Lord God is better than any parent you have ever had. Because he says he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a wonderful promise. And that could be a pretty good sermon preached on the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Although I have a different sermon in mind I'll be doing. But at any rate, doesn't matter where you go in the Bible. When you find Jesus, you recognize the Father and the Holy Spirit. I'm Tom Baker. We're back on schedule after the July 4th holiday. Tomorrow, Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. Uh, join us. I'm sure we're going to have a wonderful topic to talk about. And on Friday, Open Mic Friday. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law & Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.